morning church. It's good to see you this morning. We got people coming through the doors. It's awesome. We're going to praise our God together. We're going to praise Him for how good He is. Let's sing this out.
Good morning, GBC. You can have a seat for a minute. My name is Zach. I'm one of the pastors here. So glad you're here with us this morning in the building, online. It's good to worship together. Now, something's coming up in a few weeks. A special day. Easter is on the horizon. We're excited about Easter just a few weeks away. And, and the thing about Easter that is, that is special, we, and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus all year, but Easter is the day we take aside and, and we really make that the focus. It is the reason that we celebrate Easter, not eggs, not some bunny. It's about the resurrection of Jesus. And the thing about Easter is it's also a time in which people who don't normally attend church are actually willing to come, particularly if they're invited. In fact, a few years ago, they, they found that, that the one thing keeping people who don't attend church, the one thing keeping 70%, 70% of people from stepping into a church building is they've never had a Christian friend invite them. And so Easter's coming in a few weeks. We have four services. You can go up to the next slide. We're going to be doing four services. We have a traditional service at 7.30. We're going to have three contemporary services, two of those. We are going to have kids and teen ministry running. Uh, for some of you, moving to 7.30 or 12 can be an awesome missional move to create some space at the popular services. 9 o'clock and 10.30 usually fill up quickly. But we, right now, for the time being, what I want you to do over the next week, because registration opens in a week, is to pray about one person that you could invite. That might be into your home for breakfast and Easter. That might be to attend the service with you. And on the way out, there's going to be tables with push cards, four by six push cards that look exactly like this. We're going to ask you, take one of those on the way out and pray this week, God, give me a name. Give me a name. Write the name on that card and hand it to the person and registration will open up next Sunday. We're really excited for this time to worship together, but to bring others in to see what God is doing. Amen? All right, stand with, uh, with us. We're going to continue worshiping.
thank you uh, just for the time that we can spend here together praising your holy and matchless name. Because of you, God, we have life. Because of you, we have a purpose. For those of us struggling today with, with who we are, Father, may we find our identity in you. May we find our strength. May we find our comfort, our peace, our help in you and in you alone. God, you are good and we worship you today. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus and everyone said together, amen. amen. Praise God, you may be seated. Good morning, Groton Bible Chapel. My name is Zach, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Megan, and I'm the director of GBC Kids. And this morning, we're just going to give a quick preview talking about a special day coming up, and that is our child dedication service. And this year, it's going to look a little bit different than it has in the past. And for that, Megan, why don't you share a little bit, what can we expect, and why are we kind of going in a different direction? Yes. So believe it or not, this is the first dedication we've held since the fall of 2019. And it's actually the first dedication we're going to have in this building. And so... Given everything that the last year has brought, we just wanted to make it feel a little extra special for these families. And so what's gonna happen is on Sunday, March 28th, at both services, we're going to kind of flip the morning around a little bit. We're gonna have a sermon from Zach that is kind of not about dedication, but about raising children in the ways of the Lord and what that means and what that practically looks like. And then I will bring a little bit of information about dedications, what, they, what it is, what it isn't, and why it's so important to us here at the church. And just to be clear, you may not have small children, you may not have any children, your children may be fully grown. And uh, asking the question, well, what, what, where do I fit into a morning like this? Uh, child dedications are not a merely young family-centric mm -hmm. event. It really is about the church family. And so as we dive into the scriptures together, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, that, that's the question. Is like, what does it look like for the family of God, the church family, to participate in the raising of children in the fear of the Lord? And we're excited to kind of dive through that with you. Uh, Megan, there may be people hearing this who either forgot to register or are just hearing <laughs> this for the first time. If that's them, what do they need to do? Absolutely. So we do still have some spots available and would love to have your family be a part of the morning. So what you can do is you can go right to gbckids.org and scroll a little bit down on the page and you'll see a button that says sign up for dedications. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, church family. We're glad you were here with us this morning to worship, to dive into God's word. Before we continue in the service, we're gonna ask you to take a moment, greet one another with a wave, a text, and uh, we will be back in 30 seconds. It was supposed to be a quiet couple days in New Hampshire with my wife and uh, celebrating the change of command of my friend, Commander David Payne, in Portsmouth Naval Shipyard. 
And uh, so my wife and I, it was Thursday uh, mid-morning. We left early. We got on the road about noon, and we drove up to York, Maine, and uh, checked into the York Harbor Inn, where we like to stay uh, when we're doing things uh, Navy or Coast Guard related in the area. And um, again, kind of anticipated, uh, uh, we had sort of this early day that we were just going to relax a little bit. And then my phone rang. And uh, it was uh, staff. It was staff here from GBC. And for the next three and a half hours, I was on the phone pacing back and forth in my hotel room with our staff, with an epidemiologist friend of mine in California. And my wife sat on the bed, twiddling her thumbs, <laughs> waiting to go to dinner. And uh, talking to my friend in California and asking him questions, Nick, what is this coronavirus thing? And from there we went to dinner. It was a, a pretty late dinner at that point. And uh, we rushed back to the, the hotel. There were more conversations that needed to be had. You see, the if event was supposed to be the next day. And I didn't really sleep well that night as a lot of this stuff, this information had been, become very new to me uh, in that day was swirling around in my head. And so the next morning we got up and we went to uh, the naval shipyard and attended and we were, were a part of the, the change of command ceremony. And I remember saying to Commander Payne in the reception afterwards, there were about three or 400 people at this event. And I said to him, you know, this may be the last event of this size that we attend in person, just not knowing what was coming. And most people around me had no idea at this point either. And so we cut our trip short, and uh, we drove, we hopped in the truck, we drove back down to Connecticut. This was Friday evening now. And uh, I texted uh, or called Jason Wallace, our caring pastor here at GBC, and I said, hey, keep as many of the staff here in the building as you can. We need to have a meeting. And then I called the elders and just said, hey, we got, we got to have an emergency meeting tonight. We need to have a conversation about this virus. And so I think seven or eight out of 10 elders showed up at 5 p.m. And we spent the next 90 minutes, uh, basically me relaying uh, a lot of information from my, my friend in California. And we talked about things like, and even drew the graph, right, of the, the curve and flattening the curve and all that. And then the next morning, many of you received a video from me saying, hey, for the next two to four, maybe six weeks at the most, we're going to move church online. How little, how little we knew. And, uh, you know, we cut that video. And then that afternoon, I came in and kind of went through the sermon. And by the evening, for the first time in my life, uh, we recorded the, the sermon at 6.30 p.m. to a little red light on the camera to all of you that were watching at home the next morning. And so, like you, I got up on Sunday morning in my pajamas, and I watched uh, church with my family for the first time. But on Sunday afternoon, I hopped in the truck again, and I drove up to Framingham, Massachusetts, to a gathering of large church pastors. Not large pastors, large church pastors uh, that I attend every year. And an event that was normally uh, uh, 18 to 25 of us was actually only 13. And you can imagine what we discussed over the next two days or so. In fact, a little backstory here. Uh, back in October of 2019, I, when I signed up for the Large Church Pastors Forum, I noted that the speaker was a guy named Neil Smith. And Neil Smith is sort of like the architect. He's the, the godfather of church online. He's the one who uh, is really an expert how to utilize social media in your church, how to move your church online, how to do online giving, all of this sort of admin, internet-driven stuff when it comes to church. And I actually because I'm kind of a jerk, I think, I called the president of Vision New England, who was the organizer for the, the event, and I said, hey, I'm kind of struggling. This is in the fall of 2019. 
with the, the speaker that we have for gathering of social or of senior pastors, uh, where I really look forward to being poured in and being invested in, it sounds to me like this gentleman is kind of more on the admin side and talking about social media and all these things. And, and I don't even remember his answer, um, but I hung up. And so now fast forward to March, and here we are, 13 of us in the room for two days with like the national expert on moving your church online. So guess who went to the president of Vision New England after our first session and said, I am a leper. Clearly God knew something that I didn't know. And so I took copious notes that day over the next two days. And then uh, we ended the event early. Most pastors had to get home to their teams, of course, and, and, and uh, you know, just continue to move the church forward. I went to the front desk of the hotel and I said, hey, I'm pretty sure you got nobody else coming in today. Can I stay in my room as long as I need to? and just get some things done. And they said, oh, by all means, absolutely. And so over the next several hours, I took everything that I'd learned that we had talked about in those brainstorming sessions and just cranked them out into documents and, and shipped them out to our staff and our elders. And we started to implement some of the changes that you saw over those next few weeks. Hopped back in the truck, drove back down to Groton, right here to GBC, right into an elders meeting. And we spent the next two and a half hour, hours in an elders meeting. This is now Tuesday night. Uh, discussing the pandemic. How are we going to respond to the pandemic? And the thing that was really paramount to us was to have a vision for this next season, for this several weeks. To, to recognize that this didn't surprise God and what did God want us to be leaning into in this season? You probably remember us using that terminology. And so we really felt the Lord wanted us to be godly, to be faithful, and to be generous. And we saw you do that over this last year. So I got home that night, Tuesday night, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day at about 10.30 at night, and I was exhausted. Now, on the one hand, I was energized by all the team play that we've been a part of, the creative problem solving, but I was just emotionally exhausted. That's how the first six days of the pandemic were spent on, on my part. I wonder how the first several days of that first weekend was for you. As you reflect back over this last year, what were those first few days like? I will tell you that I know for a fact that some of you spent the first six days in your sweatpants watching Netflix. I didn't get to do that. I'm jealous. But, you know, for all of us, God has used this season to bring some unique fruit into our lives. And certainly we've seen fruitfulness in our church through this season. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. As we transition to our sermon this morning, I want to just uh, pray this morning. I want to thank the Lord for this last year and recognize that even in our struggles, God has borne fruit in us and that bearing fruit for God is only possible when we're dependent on Jesus. That's a huge part of what we're going to look at this morning. So I certainly want to pray for the sermon, but I also want to thank God for this year, the trial and the victory. So we pray with me. Lord God, we come before you this morning Lord, it's a little sobering to think about the last year. We all have things that have utterly frustrated us over this last year. Some of us are really still struggling. Some of us still haven't had the ability, for whatever reason, to, to re-enter public life. And we're struggling, Lord. Lord, would you speak to us through your word this morning? But Lord, even in the challenge, we've seen fruit. Even in the challenge, we've seen you working. And so God, as your word instructs us, we thank you for the good and the bad, for the trial and the victory. And we look to you this morning. By your Holy Spirit, God, would you instruct us and teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God is glorified in our fruitfulness. But our fruitfulness is only possible 
as we lean into, as we depend on Jesus. I want to read our section of scripture this morning. I'm I'm reading from the ESV this morning as opposed to, we've normally been in the CSV. I'm going to read from the ESV ESV because I like the wording a little bit better. And this is Jesus continuing. This is his second or the farewell discourse. And he begins by saying this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Well, let's begin with these words of Jesus. I am the true vine. This is the seventh I am statement of Jesus. He begins with, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. It continues. Here he says, I am the true vine. Which by definition means he's referring to some other vine if he's the true vine. And we know throughout the entire Old Testament that God refers to his people Israel as a vine or a vineyard. But in almost every occurrence of Israel as a vine, he describes Israel as a faithless vine. Under punishment or being punished or being judged by the Lord. And Jesus is contrasting himself with this. And it begins in Isaiah chapter 5 in the song of the vineyard which begins this way. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. A little bit later, the the, uh, writer of Isaiah laments this on God's behalf. He says, why when I expected a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? And it goes on from there. Jeremiah characterizes Israel as a foreign vine due to her idolatry and worship of, of pagan gods. Ezekiel characterizes Israel as a royal vine that's been uprooted in fury. And Hosea characterizes Israel as a selfish vine, bearing fruit only for herself, not for the glory of God, the God who planted her. And I want to look a little bit more at one of the more significantly Uh, significant passages here in Psalm 80. Here in Psalm 80, the psalmist laments the punishment of God over what he calls the rescued vine. We pick it up in verse 8 of Psalm 80, and the psalmist says, you dug up a vine from Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it, you cleared a place for it, it took root and filled the land, the mountains were covered by its shade, and the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out sprouts toward the sea and shoots toward the river. That is the river Euphrates. And, and what, what he's talking about here is God's rescue of his people out of slavery from Egypt, through the Red Sea, planted in the land of promise, where Israel flourished in, in the land of promise under God's blessing. And then he laments, and he says this, why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its fruit? Boars from the, the forest tear at it, and creatures of the field feed on it. Return, God of armies. Look down from heaven and see. Take care of this vine, the root that your right hand planted. And then listen to the change in picture here. The sun that you made strong for yourself. 
It was cut down and burned. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. There's a picture here of the psalmist lamenting that the very face of God, that his countenance is, is, is in judgment of his people, that he's allowed them to be punished. And he makes an illusion, sort of a mixed metaphor of not only the vine, but the son of God's promise. And then he makes this request. And this is, this is what Jesus is fulfilling when he says he is the true vine. Verse 17. Let your hand be with the man at your right hand, with the son of man that you have made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us and we will call on your name. Restore us, Lord God of armies. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Here is a, a cry and a plea for God to deliver, to deliver the, the vine, the son, through the son of his right, right hand. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. And he goes on to talk about what it means to be connected to the vine and the work that happens in the process. Now, before we get into the specifics of what Jesus talks about in, in verses 2 through 8, I uh, need to talk a little bit about uh, sort of the interpretive approach here. I was reading a, a, an article uh, by Gary Derrickson on viticulture and John 15. And, and with some of the insights that he lends that we'll talk about, uh, married with some of the scholarship, I'm going to take the tack this morning that verse 2 of this passage is talking about a spring pruning. And it's a, a spring pruning that has two emphases, a, a, a restorative emphasis and a multiplying emphasis. And then verse 6 that probably causes the most questions for us in this passage is we'll look at from the standpoint of a fall pruning, a fall pruning. So let's look at that this morning. Jesus says, every branch in me, verse 2, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus says this is through his word. And interestingly enough, the beginning of verse 2 there where he says that every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away, is actually rendered pretty poorly in the English. It actually means is lifted up or lifted off the ground. And this coincides well with uh, Gary Derrickson's insights on viticulture or vine dressing. In this spring pruning, the gardener or the vine dresser, here in this picture that Jesus uses, who is God the Father, would actually lift up those branches of the vine that were on the ground and put them on a trellis or a pole, exposing them to the sunlight and to the dry air and allowing them uh, to, to be cleansed through sunlight. But they would also clear them of, of debris and insects and, and any molds and mildews and dirt that were growing on them. And the picture is really vivid. That some branches don't bear fruit because they need extra care from the Lord. And we've seen that. In, there are believers within the body of Christ who are more needy than others of God's nurturing care. And he lifts them up and he puts them in the light of the sun, if you will, S-O-N, and brings fruit from them. It's a beautiful picture of God's restorative work as we are believers who are tapped into the vine that brings us life with God the Father as the vine dresser. I wonder if that's where you find yourself after a year of pandemic this morning. The second picture is also just as profound. He says those that bear fruit, he proves that they may bear more fruit. And if you're familiar with any kind of gardening, even deadheading and things like that of your, your flowers, that this allows more growth and fresh growth. Any fruitful believer will endure pruning. And pruning can be painful. 
But pruning, while, while, while uh, being lifted up is, is restorative, pruning is a multiplying work of the love of God. And Jesus attaches this idea of pruning to the word of God. To the word of God. You see, God is glorified in our fruitfulness. And I wonder this morning, how is the word of God pruning your life? Now, pruning can mean a number of things here in terms of the, the interpretation of the metaphor. I think essentially what we're talking about is that further, another image in the scripture, that further refining of our lives as we are connected to Christ more intimately. That he removes from my life sinful habits and behaviors and attitudes. The things that I struggle with now, the things that you struggle with now, Lord willing, in your walk with Jesus are not the same things you struggled with five years ago. Why? Because you've been pruned through the application of the word of God. Perhaps an illustration may help. Tell the story of my friend Sam Clark. Uh, Sam Clark was involved in a bunch of really bad stuff when he was a young young man in his late teens. Among other things, he was running drugs between two cities here in Connecticut. And uh, he was at a point of crisis in his life, and in the meaning of life, and he cried out to a God he didn't know, God, rescue me from this life. The next day, he was arrested on the side of I-95 with a car full of drugs and sent to prison. Sam went to prison and he got involved in prison fellowship. He came to know Jesus. He gave his life to Christ. And he was transformed. He began attending prison fellowship Bible studies and, and saturating himself, digesting the word of God voraciously. And his life began to change. And then he shared with me through a, a miraculous set of circumstances. He was released from prison years early. And he went home to New London I went home to his girlfriend he, uh, that he lived with in New London and, and he told her all that had happened in the time that he had been in prison. And he, as he recounted this story to me, he said, you know, Gary, it was like the second or third night and I climbed into bed with my girlfriend and about midnight I bolted upright and I said, this is wrong. I can't stay here anymore. We can't live together. We are not married. We're living in sin. This isn't right before the Lord. And there in the middle of the night, they had this very difficult conversation and Sam moved out. You see, his girlfriend didn't know Christ and he had gone through the pruning of the word of God. Now, Sam later married a wonderful Christian woman, became a minister and it just, it's an amazing story. But Sam was being, experiencing the pruning of God's word in his life. Where has that happened in your life? Where are the places that you can point to God's gentle but sometimes difficult pruning that you might bear more fruit? You see, we are not the vine ourselves. We are branches. And we are to ta be tapped into a different kind of life as we receive that life from the vine. Well, how does that happen? I love what D.A. Carson says here. It says the imagery of the vine is stretched a little. I love that he sort of lets us uh, consider that. But the point is clear. Continuous dependence on the vine, constant reliance on him, and persistent, I love this phrase, persistent spiritual imbibing of his life. That's the picture of abiding. So when Jesus says, abide in me, verse 4, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now some of, most of your English Bibles will use the word remain, which is probably a clearer rendering uh, of the word here, but it's less accurate. It gets less the, center, uh, the, the essential meaning of sort of the, the uh, being surrounded in Christ, being immersed in Christ, drinking of Christ, being in communion with Christ, intimacy with Christ. 
That spiritual imbibing, as Carson said, it's a constant, consistent, persistent dwelling, living, walking, and communing with Jesus that begins to transform us, that we might bear fruit to the glory of God. It's an absolute dependence on him. You see, the extent of our fruitfulness as Christians is directly proportional to our intimacy with Christ. Now, our life with Christ, the gospel, comes about through uh, belief, faith, trust in what Christ has done on our behalf. But our fruitfulness comes through an abiding and an obedience to Christ. There's that relationship between our faith and obedience. Paul says it this way in Galatians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And there right in the, at the end of this verse is the centrality of our whole message that God in Christ loved me and gave himself for me. The Bible teaches us that we cannot have life apart from Christ, that we are responsible for our own sin, both in our nature and our behavior. And the, res- the responsibility, the wages of that sin, as Romans tells us, is death, eternal death. It is a separation from God for eternity, that we will bear that punishment. But he loved me and gave himself. He loved you and gave himself for you. Jesus comes and goes to the cross to deal with that sin, to pay that sin penalty, that punishment. And it is by faith and trusting that he did that on my behalf. The biblical word is propitiation. It's a substitutionary work. Me, uh, him instead of me. And that as I trust him and what he did on the cross, I have life. I have life. To have fruit, I must further abide in him, rest in him, commune with him. And he begins to grow me as I draw from that vine. Well, that brings us to the, probably the most challenging verse in the scripture. And that's in, in verse 6. And before, before I, I get into that scripture, I do want to ask this question. Our fruitfulness, is, as we've talked about in the beginning brings glory to God, but only happens as we depend on Christ. And I want to ask you this question this morning. What kind of branch are you? What kind of branch are you? Are you a dead branch that's never been tapped into the life of the vine of Christ? This morning, we would implore you to seek him, to receive him into your life by faith. If you don't know what that means, you can talk to the ushers, talk to Zach or myself or any of the staff here. Maybe you don't know what it is to be walking with Christ, to have life through him. Maybe you're a living branch. You know what it is to walk with Christ, but your life has been unfruitful. You need some of that either care of being lifted up that you might uh, be, experience the light of the sun, so to speak, or you need some pruning. Maybe there's something even over this last year in the pandemic that has crept in in a sinful habit or pattern that needs to be cut out and pruned out of your life. Or perhaps you are a living branch and you're bearing fruit and you're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm game. Do that next level work in me that I might bear more fruit for you. That spring pruning is something that we all can use. But what about the fall pruning? Jesus says in verse 6, again, this is the most challenging verse. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. 
in his uh, article on viticulture in John 15, Gary Derrickson says that, that the, the fall pruning was the more significant and the harsher, where, where dead branches were pulled out from out and around uh, the, the vines, that even uh, leaves that were beginning to wither were cut off, and all of that was gathered to a place and burned, and the, the vine was being prepared for its dor- the dormancy of winter. And so it's fair to ask the question, who's in view of these branches that are gathered and burned? There's two principal ideas. There are more, but I'll, I'll give you two principal ideas. And, and uh, I can make a case for either one. So I'll let you uh, do some Bible study and kind of come up with your own conclusion. The first one is that these are counterfeit believers. These are people, and there's other consistent scripture that we'll talk about in a second that, that alludes to this as well. That, that within the kingdom of God, within the church, the body of Christ, there are people who, who are part of the community but are not regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They've not received Christ by faith. That may be you this morning. You may love Christian community. You may love sort of the, the friendliness and the, and the serving atmosphere of being a part of Christian, music, Christian community. You might love the music and the, the worship and just the positive energy of being part of a church, but you're not at a place where you're ready to receive Jesus into your life by faith yet. You're kind of on the fringes and on the edges enjoying the benefits so to speak. And Jesus talks about in Matthew 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares, that the genuine grain that grows up and bears a head of, uh, of wheat, of fruit, also grows up with tares, with weeds that will be uprooted and burned. And my, my uh, encouragement, my tender exhortation to you this morning would be don't just hang out on the fringes, receive Christ by faith. Hebrews 6 uses the imagery or or the idea of illegitimate sons and daughters. That they're part of the family but not really part of the family. And so that's one possible rendering. The other is unfruitful believers. Matthew 7 tells us that you will recognize them by their fruit. Who's the them? Disciples of Jesus. Luke tells us that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. That there, is a, a, there should be a response of our lives from being tapped in to the vine. And bearing fruit is a part of that. And so it may need to be that we need to ask the question of ourselves. Am I, a, am I bearing fruit for Christ? You know, the, the scripture talks about the refining nature of God's word. And even in 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the imagery of fire to talk about the refining of a believer's fruit. Even in Ezekiel, at the end of this passage about Israel, there's this really poetic language where Ezekiel says, how does the wood of the vine, that branch among the trees of the forest, compare to any other wood? Can wood be taken from it to make something useful or can anyone make a peg from it to hang things on? In fact, it is put into the fire as fuel. In other words, the vine is only useful for one thing, the branch of the vine. It's to bear fruit for the parent vine. That is all that we are good for. That is our sole purpose is to bear fruit for the glory of God. And so it may be that that the picture here is of unfruitful believers. In that case, the burning might be the the loss of fruit, uh, the loss of reward in our lives, the loss of opportunities that we could have taken advantage of or the loss of efficacy for the kingdom of God. Here's the the way that I'd ask the question, if fruitfulness is only dependent on our uh, intimacy with Christ and being tapped into the vine, what is the fruit of my Christian life uh, look like? What What is the nature of the fruit of my Christian life? Is it, you see I have an apple and an orange up here. They're actually 
plastic. And you know, this is a great picture of what the fruit of my life might look like, my Christian life at times. That the veneer is great. The appearance, especially from where you're sitting, looks genuine. But it's useless. It only serves an aesthetic purpose. And you think about how we can live our lives. Talk about wearing masks as Christians. I certainly have those times in my life. Is the fruit of your Christian life real and filled with the ability to nourish and bring glory to the kingdom of God or is it merely aesthetic? Well, that brings us to our last couple of verses. Jesus says this in verse seven. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified. There it is right there that God is glorified by our fruit, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And so Jesus says essentially that in our prayer, he gives what seems to be this kind of blanket, unconditional promise. Ask whatever you want in my name and it will be given to you. He says something similar in John, uh, in John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, my father's name, I will do for you. Is Jesus making an unconditional promise that if I want that new car or that larger house or whatever it might be that that he's going to give it to me? It's actually quite a conditional promise. If we, if we read it in, its, in the entire context, Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if I am tapped into that life of the vine through the word of God, then ask whatever you will in my name. And then there's a condition on the backside that my father will be glorified. Why? Because as you bear fruit, it proves, it validates that you are my disciples. I'm reminded of uh, Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. One clause modifies the other. It is our delight in the Lord that changes my desires, that shapes my desires to be his desires. It gives me his heart and his mind for people, for our world and for my priorities. And yet so often as James talks to us about our desires drag us along and we're shaped by our desires and they become what we delight. Scripture says, no, delight yourself in the Lord first. Abide in the vine that he will shape your desires. And then he'll give you anything you ask. Well, what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about here? Remember that Jesus has said that he's going away to the Father, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And so we know that the fruit of the Spirit is part of this. As Paul expounds on these ideas in his, his letters, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. In Ephesians 5, he says, uh, the fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. A significant fruit of the Christian life when we abide with Christ is that we are truthful people. It's part of why we wrestled with the things that we did last week as we tackled some tough topics. And finally, Paul says to the Philippian believers, be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness. You see, God is glorified in our fruitfulness, which is only possible in our dependence on Jesus. I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time as we prepare to uh, finish in, in a closing song this morning as we focus our hearts on Christ, on glorifying and magnifying Jesus this morning. But I, I want to ask you this morning, what is the fruit of your life? All, all of us have fruit in our lives. We, we, be, we manifest fruit for something. Maybe it's a, the product of your success in your career or your children within your family, whatever it might be. What is the fruit 
of your life? What does it magnify? What does it glorify? I want to end a little bit differently this morning as the band prepares to lead us. I want to share with you a short, about two-minute passage uh, from a book by South African minister uh, Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray ministered uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, right before, he actually lived right before uh, C.S. Lewis. And uh, he wrote this book called Abide in Christ. And Abide in Christ is, is rooted in this passage that we're looking at this morning. And so I want you, as, as I read this morning, to hear the words of Andrew Murray and how he pulls together these themes that we were talking about. We'll put it on the screen if you want to follow it there. Or you can just sit quietly, maybe even shut your eyes and listen to how he, how he says this. This is what he says. He says, The one daily and unceasing duty of the disciple is to believe. Because believing is the one channel through which the divine grace and strength flow into our hearts. The old nature of the believer remains evil and sinful to the last. It is only as we come, all empty and helpless, to our Savior that we can bring forth the fruits of righteousness to the glory of God. When you think how utterly in times past you have failed, the consciousness of present weakness likely also makes you tremble. And when you set before yourself the expectation of love and joy, holiness and fruitfulness, which in the future are to flow from abiding in him, it only serves to make you still more hopeless. You know yourself too well. Perhaps a life of fully and wholly abiding in Jesus is not for you. Oh, that you would learn a lesson from the time of your first coming to the Savior. Remember, dear soul, how you were then led, contrary to all that your experience and your feelings and even your sober judgment said, to take Jesus at his word and how you were not disappointed. He did receive you and pardon you. He did love you and save you. You know it. And if he did this for you when you were an enemy and a stranger, what think you now that you are his own? Will he not much more fulfill his promise? Oh, that you would come and begin to simply listen to his word. Believe first of all what he says. I am the vine. The safety and fruitfulness of the vine depend upon the strength of the, vine, of the branch, depend upon the strength of the vine. He really will be to you all that a vine can be, holding you fast, nourishing you, and making himself every moment responsible for your growth and your fruit. Remind yourself, my vine on whom I depend for all I need is Christ. A large, strong vine bears the feeble branch and holds it more than the branch holds the vine. A soul filled with large thoughts of the vine will be a strong branch and will abide confidently in him and glorify him. Would you stand as we sing this final song?
want to bear fruit for you. We want to be a fruitful people as a church. We want to be fruitful in our lives as families and as individuals, tapping into that life that you are the true vine, God. Lord, would you help us learn what it means to abide in you by soaking in your word, by seeking you, by seeking your truth, by letting your truth prune things from our lives that just need to go, that we might bear fruit for you. Pray that you would be doing this in the life of our church, Lord, as we continue to grow. Thank you for your great grace through Christ. Jesus, may your name truly be magnified. We pray in Jesus' name. Hey, two things before you go. I want to let you know that next week, my good friend Travis Bond from Medway Community Baptist Church uh, will be preaching here this uh, on Sunday morning in our continuing series on John's Gospel, our series I Promise. Uh, Travis is one of those uh, pastors that I was with last March uh, in that first uh, few days. And uh, he's going to be down over the weekend doing some leadership training with our staff, with our elders. Uh, he's a fantastic guy and really excited for you to hear from him as he preaches the word next Sunday. And uh, secondly, if you are new here at GBC, I want to encourage you to stop by the Welcome Center or click on the I'm New button on our webpage. We'd love to get to know you and for you to get to know us a little bit more. Remember also, parents, that child dedication is just a couple weeks away. Don't forget to sign up for that. Aside from that, have a wonderful Sunday, and we will see you next week.